It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. What do we have on tap? Well, only way to find that out, you have to tune in. You have to grab your ticket, get on board, put your seatbelt on. Most importantly, enjoy the ride. That's right. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. And we are getting ready to get this train on the track. So let's get rolling. train sports talk podcast with your host and conductor anthony smith grab your tickets get on board and enjoy the ride it's the a train sports talk podcast all aboard Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith, on a very hot Saturday afternoon here in Wichita, Kansas. Yes, it kind of cooled down a little bit yesterday, but it was just a little cool down. The heat is on. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, let's talk about NBA Summer League 2022. That's Paolo Benchero, Jay Nivey, and the rookies who have shined thus far in Las Vegas. This is a chance for NBA fans to get out and see some of the rookies that will be donning the uniforms on day one of NBA. So the NBA 2K23 Summer League kicked off Thursday night with a matchup between Orlando's Paolo Banchero and Houston's Jabari Smith Jr., the number one and number three picks, respectively, in last month's NBA draft. The Magic won 91-77 in the first meeting between two of the NBA's most anticipated rookies, with Banchero notching 17 points, four rebounds, and six assists. Smith had a quieter night in his Rockets debut, finishing with 10 points, seven rebounds, three assists. The number five overall pick, Jay Nivey, made his debut with the Detroit Pistons, scoring a team-high 20 points en route to an 81-78 win over Portland Trail Blazers. Blazers rookie Shaden Sharp, the number seven pick, had his debut cut short by a shoulder injury that ended his night after just six minutes. The action continued Friday with several other rookies getting their first action in Vegas. So which first-year players stood out? Well, let's just take a look. So number one versus number three, Banchero and Smith meet for the first time. Banchero came into the NBA draft process billed as the most NBA-ready prospect in the class. Smith, on the other hand, oozes potential but turned 19 less than two months before draft night and was always going to need time to develop. When they took the court against each other Thursday night, both players proved those scouting reports, at least for one night, to be accurate. Banchero, who looked every bit the 6'10", 250 pounds he's listed at, used his size and physicality to get wherever he wanted on the court. He finished with 17 points, 4 rebounds, and 6 assists in 25 minutes. He played the way he likely will for Orlando next season, by serving as a de facto point guard in a power forward's body. He didn't always get a lot of separation and has work to do defensively. And he admitted after the game he's using summer league to get himself into shape. But even in a one-game sample, it was easy to see what put him atop the draft. Smith, on the other hand, is going to take a lot more time, and it showed. 
He was criticized at times last season at Auburn for not being assertive enough with his teammates in getting the ball, and that happened Thursday night. But there's plenty to like about this game. Smith's high, quick release combined with his 6'10 frame has the potential to make him a serious spot-up shooting threat. In time, he could easily put on weight to expand his game like Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard, and other young projectable wings before him. He competes hard on defense and has quick feet, which gives him significant upside at the end as well. Smith's development is going to take time, particularly on a very young Rockets team with some inexperienced guards getting the Lions' share of the ball handling minutes, led by last year's number two overall pick, Jalen Green. Two other significant rookies also stood out in this game. Houston's Tari Eason, number 17 overall, and Orlando's Caleb Houston, number 32 overall. Eason, a 6'8 forward from LSU, has the kind of rangy build that can make him an elite defensive wing. His three-point shot, though, is going to take a lot of work to make him a true 3 and D player. And he did a lot of extra work on offense in this game that he won't be doing in regular season action. Houston, a former five-star recruit from Michigan who struggled as a freshman and fell out of the first round, is a very intriguing prospect. He finished with 20 points on five for nine shooting from three-point range in 28 minutes. The six-foot-eight Houston is the kind of long athletic forward who could be a real fine for Orlando if he develops into the player he was supposed to be before his long collegiate season. Ivy and Wren shine for the Pistons. The Detroit Pistons came away from the NBA draft last month feeling like major winners after adding a pair of lottery picks. Number five overall pick and number 13 overall pick, Jalen Duran, to a building young core centered around Cade Cunningham, last year's top overall selection. Both Pistons fans and Cunningham who watched from the sidelines got their first glimpse at the duo during Thursday's opener against the Portland Trailblazers from the opening play of the game. On the first possession of the game, Ivy tossed an alley-oop toward the basket for Duran, who finished with a two-hand dunk with authority. Ivy scored a team-high 20 points with six rebounds and six assists while showcasing athletic traits he brings to a Pistons backcourt that has a chance to be dynamic. Ivy zoomed past defenders with a quick first step and barreled toward the basket like a runaway train. However, his summer league debut was still a bit erratic, especially during the first half while he was trying to adjust to the speed of the game. He made some errant passes and ill-advised decisions that led to five turnovers and five fouls. Duran, meanwhile, had been waiting all week for the draft night trade that brought him to Detroit to become official, and he was officially added to the roster the morning before the first game. Although the team kept him on a minutes restriction that limited him to 12 minutes, he made the most of the time, most of his time on the court. Duran, who does not turn 19 until November, finished with nine points, a rebound, and a pair of blocks. His size and vertical ability were so imposing that he looked far from the youngest player in last month's draft. There will certainly be growing pains with both rookies, but their debuts provided enough reasons for continued optimism about the future in Detroit. Mathurin leads all scores for the Pistons. Benedict Mathurin, the Indiana Pacers' high draft pick number six since the highest draft pick since number six Rick Smith's in 1988, looked the part in his first summer appearance Friday against the Charlotte Hornets. Mathurin led all scores with 23 points on 9 of 16 shooting, knocking down three three-pointers. Mathurin's ability to shoot the NBA three is the bedrock of this game entering the league. Opponents must respect Mathurin potentially pulling up off the dribble. One of his three mates was off the dribble in transition, which enhances his ability to create space as a driver. Mathurin leveraged that room to get off pull-up jumpers with a similarly smooth stroke. I would like to see Mathurin develop his plan to attack hard closeouts. He dribbled in after one for a pull-up mid-range attempt, the once-dominant NBA strategy that now has lost favor to a sidestep or one-dribble reset for an open three-pointer. Mathurin's athletic repertoire also includes the ability to drive close to drive closeouts 
and the leaping ability that saw him finish a transition lob off the backboard from 2021 Indiana first-round pick Chris Durate with a powerful dunk. At the defensive end of the court, Maduro's strong frame aids him as an all-on-ball defender who can stand to be more active defensively off the ball. On the other side, Hornet center Mark Williams faced more of a learning curve in his debut. Without a strong pick-and-roll point guard to set him up like he'll have with LaMelo Ball during the regular season, Williams frequently caught the ball in the middle of the paint and struggled to finish. Williams, who shot 72% during the 2021-22 season at Duke, was 2 of 8 from the field. He did contribute 8 rebounds and a pair of blocks in that span. Agbaye, I believe I'm pronouncing it right, should give Cleveland fans hope for the future. Cleveland's Oche Abaji, there, there we go. Oche Abaji, former KU player, scored 16 points in an encouraging summer league debut. But it's how he did it that should have Cavs fans more excited. Tobo Abaji's 16 points came from beyond the arc, and he proved to the NBA world that he could not only knock down, catch, and shoot threes, but create his own looks from deep, too as he hit his NBA-ready step back early in the first. Early in the, early in the first. Bajay looked confident in his debut, and he has good reasons for that. He arrived in Vegas with one of the best resumes of any rookie in his class. The 20-year-old shooting guard not only helped the Kansas Jayhawks win the NCAA title in April, but he was also named a first-team All-American and most outstanding player in the Final Four. Those achievements owe a lot to the simple fact this rookie played a ton of college hoops. He was the only senior drafted in the first round this season and the oldest lottery pick in this year's draft. Still, the Cavs are hoping Abaje's best days are still ahead of him and that he can help his group improve its offensive efficiency. Last season, the Cavs ranked fifth in the league in defense, but just 20th in offense, thanks in part to a mediocre output from beyond the arc. Abaje has the potential to become an elite three-point scorer and his debut didn't do anything but support that claim. He took nine threes in his first game as a pro, making four of them. If he can add some perimeter strength to his Cavs core that already features Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen, Cleveland's future is only getting brighter. Wow. And who says they need King James? Well, that's my first segment. And it's only going to get better. That's right. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. We are going to step away and pause for a moment. When I come back, I'll have some more sports news for you. So stay tuned. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. Podcast, your podcast for sports and so much more. Thank you for listening to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. If you would like to have your ad or sponsor a segment on here, simply reach out to me at 316-553-2010 or you can simply email me. That's a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com. That's a dot train sports talk at gmail.com once again it's the a train sports talk podcast your host and conductor anthony smith
is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Grab your tickets, get on board, and enjoy the ride. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. All aboard! Sorry about that. Sometimes there is a connectivity issue that causes little glitches like that, but nothing that we can't overcome. Once again, it is the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor of the train, Anthony Smith, taking you up and down the tracks around this corner, around that corner. Oh, but trust me, it is a safe journey, one that you will not regret. We're going to shift around a little bit. We're going to look at some NFL news because there's a lot going on. You know, the Raiders being the Raiders, you know, the Raiders always doing something, you know, just to do something and just to keep their name out there. And they did just that. And then there is this guy whose last name is Snyder, who has been dealing with legal issues and now he's been forced to do something that maybe people thought he was exempt from doing. And some more news. So we're going to take a look at some NFL news. Starting first with the Raiders, because I'm pretty sure this was intriguing. But the Las Vegas Raiders hire Sandra Douglas Morgan. First black woman to serve as an NFL organization's team president. The Raiders have hired Las Vegas attorney Sandra Douglas Morgan to be their new team president as she becomes the first black woman to hold that title for an NFL franchise. Morgan, who was born in Las Vegas, comes to the Raiders after previously serving as chairwoman and executive director of the Nevada Gaming Control Board. She has also served as the Director of External Affairs at AT&T Services Incorporated in Southern Nevada and as a litigation attorney for an international gaming and hospitality company. I'm thrilled that Sandra has agreed to join the Raiders family, Raiders owner Mark Davis said in a statement. Her experience, integrity, and passion for this community will be invaluable to our organization. From the moment I met Sandra, I knew she was a force to be reckoned with. We are extremely lucky to have her at the helm. Morgan, who was the first person of color to chair the Nevada Gaming Control Board, is the third woman and third black person to become president of an NFL team. She is also the latest Raiders hire to break barriers. Former Raiders coach Tom Flores was the first Hispanic head coach to win the Super Bowl title and former coach Art Shell was the first black head coach of the NFL's Super Bowl era. Morgan, who spent eight years with the city of North Las Vegas, was also the first black city attorney in the state of Nevada when she served in that role from 2013 to 2016. I definitely never want to be the last, Morgan said, and I want to get to a point where there is no more first. Morgan emphasized leadership and full transparency during her introductory news conference at Allegiant Stadium. We have so much more to do, and I'm excited to be at the helm of that growth and look forward to ushering in the new chapter for the Raiders, Morgan said. The fact is, I have accepted this role because I believe in the promise of the Raiders. I believe in the future of the Raiders, and I believe in this organization's tenets of community, integrity, and most of all, commitment to excellence. She takes over a team that has endured tumultuous times in its front office with two presidents and several longtime executives leaving the organization in less than a year. After Mark 
Aiden resigned as president last summer. Dan Ventrell took over in July 2021 on an interim basis and was promoted to the full-time role in January. But Ventrell was gone less than a year after joining the organization. In a statement to the Las Vegas Review-Journal in May, Ventrell said he was fired in retaliation for bringing concerns from multiple employees to the NFL about a hostile work environment. It's no secret that this organization has faced some recent challenges, but I want to be clear. I am not here to sweep anything under the rug or avoid problems or concerns that need to be addressed, Morgan said. It is not lost on me that this is a critical and defining moment in the NFL. It's important to me, and it's my intention to make a meaningful contribution well beyond the Raiders family. Star defensive end Max Crosby, who attended Morgan's introduction, said Raiders players are excited to start a new chapter. It's incredible, Crosby said. First off, just breaking barriers, and Mark has done an incredible job, and it started with his father. You know, just being transparent and giving everyone an equal opportunity. She's honestly the best for the job, and it's going to be awesome. We're excited for the future. Coach Josh McDaniel and General Manager Dave Ziegler welcome Morgan in a prepared statement. We congratulate Sandra Douglas Morgan on her historic hiring as team president and are excited to welcome her into the Raiders family. Sandra brings impressive leadership experience to the organization, and we are thrilled to work with her as we continue to build a championship caliber culture and team, the statement said. Morgan's husband, Don, played with the Minnesota Vikings and the Arizona Cardinals from 1999 to 2002. In other NFL-related news, it is the month of July, July the 9th to be exact, and we're getting close to Canton time, as in Canton, Ohio, Hall of Fame game. With that being said, Mike Shanahan, Mike Holmgren, among 54 Pro Football Hall of Fame semifinalists. Super Bowl winning coaches Mike Shanahan and Mike Holmgren are among 54 seniors, coaches, and contributors named as semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2023. Shanahan, who led the Denver Broncos to consecutive Super Bowl titles, and Holmgren, who won with the Green Bay Packers, are joined by 27 other coaches, contributors, including New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft and longtime Raiders CEO Amy Trask. The list of 25 former players include four-time Pro Bowl quarterback Ken Anderson, do-it-all running back Roger Craig, return specialist Billy White Shoes Johnson, way past due, may I say, and five-time Pro Bowl cornerback Lester Hayes, hard-hitting back during the intimidating Raider days. The respective selection committee will vote to send 12 seniors and 12 coach contributors to the finalist stage. The results will be announced July 27th. The remaining list of players includes linebackers Randy Gratishar, Maxie Bond, Clay Matthews Jr., Tommy Nobis, and Chuck Howley. Wide receivers Otis Taylor, Sterling Sharp, Mark Clayton, and Stanley Morgan. And Laverne Delwig, offensive lineman Chris Hinton, and Bob Kuchenberg. Two-way player Cecil Isbell, offensive tackles. Joe Jacoby, George Kuntz, Mike Kent, defensive lineman Joe Kletko, and Jim Marshall, and cornerbacks Eddie Medore, Ken Riley, and Everson Walls. Each semifinalist played his last game in professional football no later than the 1996 season. The remaining, final, the remaining list of coaches, contributors, former Oilers Titans owner K.S. Bud Adams Jr., television executive and producer Rune Arledge, longtime Oilers Titan scout C.O. Bracado, coach Don Correal. Remember Air Correal, the San Diego Chargers? How can you forget Dan Fouts and company? Athletic trainer Otho Davis, former Canton Bulldogs owner Ralph Hay, front office executive John McVeigh, Carl Peterson, and Frank Bucko Kilroy, scout Eddie Katal, General Manager Rich McKay, former Browns Ravens owner Art Modell, Cowboys founder Clint Murison Jr., and, and Coach Buddy Parker, Coach Dan Reeves, journalist Lee Rommel, 
Steelers Vice President Art Rooney Jr., Coach Marty Schottenheimer, officials Jim Tune, Jerry Seaman, Coach Clark Shaughnessy, Elias Sports Bureau owner Seymour Seawolf, and scouts Jack Venisi, Lloyd Wells, and John Wooten. The seniors committee will meet August 16th to select up to three seniors for final consideration as members of class of 2023. Expansion of the seniors pool for election to the hall was approved earlier this year for the classes of 2023, 2024, and 2025. Coach contributor committee members will meet August 23rd to select one coach or contributor for final consideration for class of 2023. Moving right along with the NFL talk. A lot has been made about one Daniel Snyder. Bad work environment, hostile work environment. A lot has been said, what can be done about this guy? This guy has seemed exempt until now. Washington Commander's owner, Daniel Snyder, offered to testify via video before House Oversight Committee in July, letter says. Washington Commander's owner, Daniel Snyder, offered to testify via video conference before the House Oversight Committee in late July, according according to a letter his attorney sent to Chairwoman Carolyn Maloney on Thursday. But his attorney stated they have yet to hear from the committee about the dates they submitted. In the letter obtained by ESPN's Snyder's attorney, Karen Patton Seymour, told Maloney from New York that she has not heard from the committee since a June 30 phone call to discuss Snyder's conflicts on other proposal date on other proposed dates for a deposition. The committee had offered for Snyder to be interviewed remotely on July 6 or 8, according to the letter and Seymour wrote that she offered July 28 or 29. The house is in session until July 29 and will be off in August. The committee has been investigating Washington's workplace culture since October. We remain committed to securing Mr. Snyder's testimony on the toxic work environment at the Washington commanders following his failure to appear voluntarily at the committee's hearing and his continued refusal to allow his attorney to accept service of a subpoena, a committee spokesperson told ESPN in a statement Thursday. We are continuing to negotiate with his counsel to ensure the committee can obtain the full and complete testimony we need. And we are reviewing her latest correspondence. The committee is also trying to serve Snyder with a subpoena to testify. But a spokesperson for the committee said last week that his lawyer has not yet accepted it. The sides continue to negotiate the terms under which Snyder would testify. In the letter to the committee, Snyder's attorney said he would voluntarily testify, which according to Dave Rapello, Georgetown University's federal legislation clinic director and the Democratic staff director of the White of the House Oversight Committee from 2011 to 2021, is an important difference from being subpoenaed. If you're under subpoena, you have to answer the question posed, Rapello said. If it's voluntarily and you're not under subpoena, you don't. Many of the employees and former employees who participated in the NFL's internal investigation of the commander's workplace culture, which resulted in a $10 million fine in July 2021, signed non-disclosure agreements commonly called NDAs. If Snyder voluntarily appears, Rappel will explain, Snyder could say to the committee, I'm not permitted to answer the question because there's an NDA. He can claim he can't answer because of the NDA unless there's a subpoena. In her letter, Seymour said that Snyder planned to be in Israel for much of July and into August to observe the one-year anniversary of his mother's death. Seymour said she traveled to Israel for Snyder's video deposition, which would be conducted in private, but the committee can opt to release all or part of the transcript. Seymour stated in the letter that she had previous work duties in Europe on the earlier proposed dates. She was also in Europe to work on June 22nd when NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell testified 
at a hearing on the investigation. The commanders are scheduled to start training camp on July 27th with the team's first preseason game against the Carolina Panthers on August 13th. Snyder regularly attended his team's training camp until recent years. In 2019, he did not arrive to camp until August due to vacation plans. In 2020, he did not attend because of the COVID-19 pandemic. He did not attend last year after his wife, Tanya, assumed responsibility for day-to-day operations of the team after the NFL levied a record-setting $10 million fine following the league's internal investigation of sexual misconduct and workplace culture within the Washington, within Washington's franchise. At the NFL league meetings in March, Goodell said Snyder would not represent the team on a daily basis for the foreseeable future and that they would discuss his return at some point. According to a league source, that discussion has yet has not yet happened. Snyder traveled to France in June to attend an awards ceremony the same week. He had been invited by the committee to testify with Goodell. During Goodell's testimony on June 22nd, the Maloney on June 22nd, Maloney announced she planned to subpoena Snyder for a deposition. Rather than show up and take responsibility for his actions, he chose to skip town. Maloney said during an announcement to subpoena Snyder, she opted at time Snyder's yacht was docked in France. Snyder's 305-foot yacht, the Lady S, was located just off the eastern coast of Corsica in the Mediterranean Sea on Thursday morning, according to the website VesselFinder.com. <laughs> wow. This man... And I even learned something just from this story right here. This man is hard to get. I learned that if you decide to, well, basically just voluntarily testify on yourself, there's some loopholes you can get around. Whereas if you're subpoenaed, you have to answer this and you have to answer that. This man is slipperier than trying to tackle Barry Sanders on the football field. Anyway, after taking in all that, I think now would be a darn good time to take a break. So that's what exactly what I'm going to do. I am going to go ahead and pause and take a break. And when I come back, I'll have some more for you. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. Hope you're enjoying the ride. listen to the A-Train Sports Talk podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. If you would like to have your ad or sponsor a segment on here, simply reach out to me at 316-553-2010 or you can simply email me. That's talk at gmail.com. That's talk at gmail.com. Once again, it's the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. train sports talk podcast with your host and conductor anthony smith grab your tickets get on board and enjoy the ride 
is the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. All aboard! Welcome back to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your favorite host and conductor of the train, Anthony Smith. And we're back looking at another issue. It's been ongoing. And I still say there's been lack of media coverage. And when I say lack of media coverage, I'm not talking about your CNN, your CNBCs, MSNBCs, Fox News. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about Fox Sports, Fox Sports 1, ESPN, ESPN 2, whatever ESPNs is out there. Outside of a few people like JR Sports Brief, Girl Chat Sports, they're the ones that I view that is keeping the Brittany Griner situation in our ears, in our minds, and in our hearts. So as you know, Brittany Griner plead guilty. Brittany Griner pleaded guilty in Russia. So the question is, what happens next? WNBA star Brittany Griner pleaded guilty Thursday to bringing cannabis-derived oil cartridges to Russia, saying she had done so by accident. The move was significant as it shed the first light on her defense team's strategy, and it could potentially pave the way for a prisoner swap with the U.S. or a pardon that could see Griner free. We, of course, hope for the leniency of the court. The basketball player's Russian lawyer, Marie Blagbelina, was quoted as saying by local media on Thursday outside a Moscow courthouse. Considering all the circumstances of the case and talking and taking into account the potential, the personality of our client, we believe that the admission of guilt should certainly be taken into account. From a procedural standpoint, under Russia's legal system, a pardon or prisoner swap can only happen if the individual has already been convicted. Moscow is unlikely to respond to any of Washington's requests to Griner's release until she has formally been convicted. Deputy Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabov Ryabgob said Thursday that there are no formal or procedural reasons procedural reasons to discuss further steps until Griner's trial is concluded. On Friday Ryabgob indicated that Russia was interested in putting the ball in Washington's court leaving the Biden administration to make an offer for a potential swap if the two sides can reach the stage of closed-door negotiations on an exchange. As for any exchange schemes, our position is the same. This needs to be done behind closed doors through the available channels, Rybkov said. Rybkov signaled clearly that Moscow could be interested in negotiating a swap for notorious Russian arms dealer Viktor Bout, the so-called merchant of death who has been in U.S. custody since 2008. I'm not sure that any additional activity, especially in the public sphere, will help a correct, balanced compromise and find a bias to alleviate the fate of a lot of our compatriots, such as Victor Bout, who has health problems, or such as Seleznev and many others, he said, referring to Roman Sunil. So, uh, if I can get this name right, Roman 
Seleznev, who is serving a 27-year prison sentence in the U.S. on cyber fraud charges. U.S. officials have repeatedly referred to Griner as wrongfully detained, a label the Kremlin said is not helpful in negotiations. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said Friday during an official visit to Indonesia that securing the release of Griner and another U.S. citizen, Paul Whelan, who was sentenced to 16 years in prison on espionage charges in Russia, was a number one priority for the Biden administration. The brother of Paul Whelan, a former Marine detained in U.S. Russia, in, detained in Russia, tells CBS News, is it absolutely doesn't bother him that WNBA star Brittany Griner's case has been getting more attention than his brother's because her celebrity has helped to raise awareness about Paul's case. Asked about Rybakov's remarks suggesting Griner's trial would have to play out before there was any further movement on a potential prisoner swap, Blinken told reporters that he was not going to engage in hypotheticals. We'll look for ways to engage and do anything we can to help bring people home as quickly as we possibly can, he said. Even though Griner has entered a guilty plea, it could still take weeks or even months for the judge to issue a verdict in the case. Griner is expected to give testimony during the next hearing, which is scheduled for July the 14th. The admission of guilt could play in Griner's favor in the long term, as it may lead to a shorter trial than would be expected if her legal team were to mount a fierce resistance to the charges. That was the case with another American, Trevor Reed, who was recently released in a swap for Russian pilot Konstantin Yaroshenko. After fighting the charges against him for nearly three years while he languished in a Russian prison, Reed was reportedly still made to sign a paper admitting his wrongdoing before he was released. Possession and use of marijuana are illegal in Russia. Statistically, very few criminal cases end in acquittal in the Russian justice system. If any negotiations on a potential prisoner swap fail or fail to even materialize given relations between Washington and Moscow are currently at or near an all-time low, pleading guilty and pleading guilty and asking the court for mercy could at least see any sentence imposed on Griner Shorten. We're still in a wait-and-see posture as to how the trial proceeds. William Pomerantz, the acting director of the Wilson Center's Keenan Institute in Washington and an expert on Russian law, told CBS News on Thursday. I think she pled guilty mainly to throw herself on the mercy of the court and to plead for leniency, Pomerantz said. He's previously told news outlets that that is often the best strategy to adopt with Russian's court. We'll have to see if she gets the maximum sentence. Clearly, this case has now become a political case, and there are already discussions, allegedly, about having a plea agreement and a prisoner swap with a Russian prisoner for Brittany Griner, he said. We need to basically see whether this prisoner swap is in the cards, because if she indeed wants to get home as fast as possible, it will be only if there is a swap between Russia and the United States. And there were some other articles dealing with the Brittany Griner situation because I've seen message boards that said, why would she get preferential treatment when there are other Americans that are also labeled as wrongfully detained? But you heard what the brother of Paul Whalen said. He said he's not bothered by the attention that she is getting because it's also bringing attention to his brother. As a matter of fact, Brittany Griner sent a letter to the White House pleading her case for the White House to do what they can to get not just her. I want y'all to understand this. Not just her, but other Americans home safely. Trevor Reed, who you heard, who was released, described what it was like over there. Basically, he said, it's like living in medieval times. In other words, we can't phantom. We can't imagine what it's like being in a Russian prison. 
Yeah, we have our jail systems here, but according to what was said, our jail systems over here in America, on average, is like an extended stay at a hotel compared to what it is over there. It's that bad. But to squash all the preferential treatment talk and why she's getting all this attention, it's plain and simple. It's because of her status, because of her WNBA status, her gold medal winning status. She, it's, it's a high profile person. But yet at the same time, one of the things you have to keep in mind is the fact that she's an American woman. Not only is she a, is an American woman, but she's an African-American woman. And make no bones about it. You've heard it said her wife, Sherelle, which means she's also of the LGBTQ community. She's a gay woman. Well, that's a strike against her because Russia does not honor that in their country. Not to mention, overall, women even get treated differently here in America than their male counterparts. An article that I ran across earlier from another outlet said, why was she in Russia? Well, just like her and some of her teammates and some of her other fellow WNBA uh, peers, they used to go overseas to make extra money that they don't make in the WNBA. And if you think about it, of all the women's rights movements, you know, women have fought for rights to get equal pay in the job market, whether it be in the field of, since I know this firsthand, whether it be in the field of welding, whether it be in corporate America, women have fought for equal rights, equal pay. But when it comes to pay in the WNBA versus pay in the NBA, it doesn't even scratch the bottom of the surface, let alone the surface, which is why a lot of women from the WNBA, they take their talents overseas during the offseason, where Brittany Griner is getting at least a million dollars a year playing overseas as opposed to what she's getting in the WNBA. Where is the fairness? And there's going to be a lot of back and forth. Well, it's, a, it's women's sports, and that's the problem that I have. It's women's sports. Women's sports is not respected in America. Maybe say outside of women's soccer. It's respected at the college level when you look at the Women's College World Series softball. They play in front of packed house week in and week out. But there's no women's professional softball league that's getting any attention. And if there is one, you don't hear about it. I've had the chance to attend women's sporting events. I find it entertaining. Whereas others would probably say, why are you talking about women's sports on your podcast? Well, I look at it like this. I had a mother. And most of you who are listening to this podcast, you may disagree with my assessment or you may agree. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, think about who carried you inside of them for nine months. In some cases, having you was almost life-threatening to them. Somehow you survived. There is one gender of people that need to be well-respected regardless of their endeavor. It should be the women. Oftentimes, women are those single parents that have to raise multiple kids. And the way we treat them, it's a damn shame. Just something to give you to think about. Next time you say, it's just women's sports. To me, it's more than women's sports. 
when you watch a college World Series baseball softball game, you see something that you don't even see at the Major League Baseball level because of all the money that's being made by the players. You don't see the love of the game. You don't see the passion of the game. You don't see the bonding of the teammates. That's what women's sports bring. Togetherness, passion, love. You look at WNBA. You pretty much see the same thing because they're basically playing for peanuts as opposed to their fellow men in the NBA that's playing for millions and millions of dollars. The WA, the NBA gets marketed way better than the WNBA. Yet it's the NBA that funds the WNBA. So maybe they can do a better job marketing it. Until we learn to to treat people as humans and get beyond the differences that we have, this is all we're going to have. It won't get better. I pray that we get Brittany Griner home, but I also pray that we get the other Americans home as well, too, by any means necessary. Anyway, my next episode, I will probably be back on again tomorrow. I don't know how long it will be, but I will have another in, another episode. And I will talk some more WNBA because this is WNBA All-Star Weekend. And I think one of the things I'm going to look at is who are some of the greatest WNBA players of all time since their existence? I will have that list for you tomorrow. And I will also talk a little bit about the game. But right now, I must be making that move out of here. But I hope you have enjoyed the ride on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. Until the next time, though, take care of yourself and each other. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. I will be back. God bless. I'm out.